Hear the word of the Lord. You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. What Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live this earthly, in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. Uh, My name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us, welcome. We're working our way through the book of Galatians. And uh, boy, am I excited about what we're doing today. Uh, One quick announcement. Anybody know what's happening next week? Trunk or treat! All right, here we go, trunk or treat. It's like the happiest two hours of the year for me in some ways. Um, So on an exciting note with that, uh, you know, we do the Facebook around here, and we put out advertisements and let the neighborhood know, and usually trunk or treat has been like, who will come, will anybody come, and then everybody comes, but it's always a bit of a guessing game, and uh, Bobby told me this morning that there's already been a thousand people saying they're coming. Um, That's a lot of people. And if you, if you all remember last year, we had a line that went out the parking lot, around the block, and then up Silver Street. Uh, so we're preparing for the incoming hordes, right? We imagine there'll be lots of folks from the neighborhood. Uh, on the flip side of that, because there's always going to be something for the church staff to stress about, uh, there are currently six people that have registered to bring their car uh, for trunk or treat, okay? So there'll be like six people with thousands of folks from the neighborhood, so if you're here and you're a community group leader, bring a car, right? Bring a trunk. And uh, on Tuesday, we're laying out, uh, we've been working hard to try to make it as efficient as possible so people aren't stuck with this miserable two-hour-long line. Um, and part of that is us setting up where all the cars are going to go and how's the flow going to go. So if you're a community group leader and your group hasn't said anything about doing a trunk, that's okay. We don't need to know what it is. We just need to know that you're doing it and you have the week to figure that out. If you're here and you're just creative, you're like, oh, I don't care about community group, but I'll decorate a trunk. Anybody can decorate a trunk. Or if you and some friends and your bowling team want to do a trunk, whatever, it, it doesn't matter as long as it's fun and can help provide for the kids. So we would love to know who all is going to be doing that. If you're assuming you're doing that, but you haven't let us know, uh, that will just cause some logistic problems. So fill out a Connect card just saying, hey, uh, this is me, we're going to do a trunk, see you on Sunday. Sound good? And if you know a community group leader, if your community group leader hasn't said anything, you can start pr- applying some peer pressure, okay? Some civil discontent. 
um, let, them, let them know that we're going to do it. So next week, trunk or treat. Sound good? All right. Uh, so life is, I love starting with these big ambiguous statements. Life is messy and convoluted, right? Amen. You guys, do I need to say much more about that? Amen. Um, and what, I'm, what I mean by that is uh, there's lots of situations that we face in life where it's not, it's not entirely obvious what the right decision is. Uh, even if you've spent your whole life in church and you've read the Bible a hundred times over and you've got a bunch of verses memorized, you'll butt up against situations where it's not black and white. What should I do here? What's the right decision to make here? Um, and those are hard, it's hard to learn that lesson, and it's even harder to learn how to live in light of that reality. And I've struggled with it for a long, long time. I want to draw lines. I want there to be right and wrong answers. And I, I remember a few years ago, I was grilling this older guy. Um, he's an older pastor, good friend, and he always walked around just kind of calm and never seemed to get too high or too low. And I, it made me really uncomfortable. So I was grilling him to try to figure out where he stands on certain things. Are you this or that? I wanted to know what labels I could put on him. And he was just kind of dodging me and evasive. And so I thought that I would ask him a really basic question that almost everybody who's you know, like a professional Christian has an opinion on, um, and that's Bible translation. What's, what's the best Bible translation? Uh, seminary students love fighting over Bible translations. I was a seminary student at the time. Uh, which one is the most holy, the extra spiritual version, the not inspired version? Or, well, these are, those are Bible jokes, so you guys didn't go to seminary, they're not funny, whatever. Um, we love arguing which Bible translation is best and which one should you read. And then most seminary students will judge other people based on what they read or don't read. So I said to him, I was like, all right, what's your favorite Bible translation? Like, which, which Bible translation would you recommend people in your church read? And I could tell I was really exasperating him. He took a deep sigh. He's just, you know, one of those old man sighs where you realize you've kind of gone down too far of a road and he's disapproving of you now. And he said, Jonah, I'm 60 years old. These days, I'm just glad if someone's reading the Bible. And it was so convicting. You know, it felt like this old man donkey punched me in the stomach. Um, My friend, and I've wrestled with this for years, he wasn't apathetic, like, oh, who cares, whatever. Um, he just wasn't angry. Uh, he, he, it's not that he didn't care, it's just that he didn't want to fight. He wasn't looking for a fight like I was, as much as he was looking for Jesus. Um, he, he wanted to know Jesus more than he wanted to hold on to a position. Um, when you know Jesus deeply, intimately, uh, there's an ability that comes with that to navigate a gray world, to live a little more generously, a little more open-handedly. Uh, for most of us, especially, I would say, like the under-50 crowd here, um, that can be a very threatening road for us. Because if you're willing to fight over fewer things or let your guard down a little bit, you'll find yourself in situations where you're like, having lunch with somebody that doesn't look like you, uh, isn't from the same tax bracket as you, doesn't have the same background as you, maybe doesn't have the same like fundamental beliefs as you. Throughout the history of the church, so we've got a few thousand years under our belts now, um, there have been two major ditches 
that both fall on either side of the gospel road. They're, they're ditches that we, we go into, we, we gravitate towards to try to simplify the messiness of life, to try to feel like there's a clear way forward. That's, that's what makes the ditches so tempting. They offer us clarity amidst the confusion. They try to simplify our world in order to help us feel safe and in control. And so I just, this is, I like throwing out these little grains of nuggets, whatever, of gold every so often through sermons. This isn't really what I'm going to be talking about, but beware of people who try to reduce complicated things as though they were simple. Most of life is, is very complicated, and it's not always straightforward. Some things are simple and straightforward, but not all of it is. And there's real danger in reduction, simplification. And the temptation there, simplification often brings clarity amidst the confusion, which makes us feel safe. And the, these ditches are the ditches of license and legalism. These are phrases you may have heard before if you've been through our membership class. There's an article that we've written about this, which is still in there. Or we can, um, I think there's some at the welcome table if you want to read it afterwards. Uh, in essence, legalism manages life's messiness by creating all kinds of rules. This is what I was doing back in seminary. So if you read this Bible translation, if you hold these theological positions, if you have all these tight lines, then you'll know how to navigate. There's a right answer for everything. It distorts the true gospel by saying that God's pleasure and delight in us require our obedience. So for God to be pleased with us and to be happy with us and for us to be accepted into our fam- into the family of God, there's all kinds of rules and regulations we have to follow. So the, the legalist deals with a messy world by creating tight lines and staying inside of them. On the other side of the road, there's the, the ditch of license. License manages life's messiness by getting rid of all of the rules. So it doesn't really matter what you do or don't do. So we have a distortion of the true gospel on one end saying, for God to love you and be pleased with you, you have to follow all of these rules. Then license distorts the gospel by saying, God doesn't care how you live at all. It doesn't matter at all how you live. So just go eat what you want, drink what you want, watch what you want on TV, listen to what you want, hang out with who you want, do whatever, whatever you want. If it feels good to you, do it. So license deals with a messy world by getting rid of all lines and saying, do as you please. In this text today from Galatians, Paul uh, shows us what that middle road looks like, uh, the life along the true gospel, the narrow path between license and legalism. And so like, I want to be clear, um, this is a hard road to follow. Jesus says, says as much. Uh, following the, this middle road is difficult. Uh, and one of the main reasons why is because it'll often be very gray. There, there's so much gray area in the Christian life and which decisions should we make? What should we say? What should we not say? What's okay? What's not okay? So though, though this road of the true gospel is very difficult, it is the only road to freedom. Both of these distortions lead to slavery and pain and suffering. So the conversation in Paul's day revolved around legalism, which I think is probably true for most of us too. There's just tons of fundamentalism, legalism in this area. And so even if you don't agree with those things, you'll probably still have some of the, uh, the traces of that in your bloodstream. And we'll bring some of that out as we talk. But so this is where Paul starts. He says, we know a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. So the law here refers to the law of Moses. Uh, it's shorthand for all of the laws in the Old Testament, this long list of commands that God has given to us 
uh, in the Old Testament of the do's and the don'ts. And this is some of why the, this is where the temptation of legalism can become so profound and hard to resist is because they have verses, right? They can quote to you from various Old Testament books and say, well, look, God says this, and God says, do that, and God says, do this. The mistake legalists make is they, I, I, would, I don't know, maybe I'll be a little bit mean today. I don't, I don't know. Um, I had someone come up to me recently and said, you've been very angry in your sermons lately. And I'm like, I don't know. So back in therapy, I guess. Um, um, in essence, legalists read the Bible wrong. Um, they, and I don't mean they have poor interpretation. Uh, so here's what Jesus said to the legalists in his day. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them, them being the scriptures, you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You see this on the news all the time when people want to quote a Bible verse about some political issue in the day, and they'd be like, well, if you're going to believe that, should you believe this? And they throw out some verse, uh, usually from the Old Testament, usually from Leviticus. They'd be like, well, how can you say that when you have tattoos or whatever it might be? And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the whole Bible is about me. And all of this Old Testament stuff is pointing to me. It's saying something about me. It's revealing something about me. So if you read the Bible without that kind of interpretive grid, you are reading it wrong. If you read the Old Testament, not in a way that isn't about how does this reveal Jesus? How is this pointing to Jesus? Either my need for him or what is he like? It will be desperately confusing for you. And, and when when people do that, it's how you start hearing things like, well, do you believe in the God of the Old Testament or the God of the New Testament? And it's like, well, that's just one God. You just haven't figured out how to read the Bible yet. And thanks be to God, Jesus tells us how to read it. It, it testifies to me. It points to me. You have to see the whole Bible as being about Jesus, anticipating, preparing, and pointing to Jesus. Paul totally got this, and he explains what it means for us. He says, we've believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Paul is not trying to throw out the rules here, right? He's not trying to say, let's just burn the Old Testament. Let's just get rid of it. What he's, what he's saying is see what it points to. The, the law was never intended to save us, but that's not a problem with the law as we'll see here in, in just a second. The law was not meant to save us, not because of some problem with the law, but because of a problem with us. So here's what Paul says about this. He says, when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. Here's the point. The law says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be holy as I am holy. And if you try to keep it, you will be condemned. Not because you'll find that there's some flaw in the law, but because you'll find there is a flaw in you. And if you're skeptical about this, uh, I'll, save you, I'll spare you the, the 600 or so that are in there, and we'll just go to the top 10 list. We'll go to the David Ludman top 10 list. You guys remember those things back in David Ludman before he got weird and bearded and stuff? Um, the Ten Commandments. If you're like, no, man, give me, give me the rules. And here's what's so crazy. Here's why Paul's so angry. is because, that, and this happens all the time. This happens in our church, in our area, uh, and it's happened throughout history where people will hear the message of the gospel and then they'll go a little ways down the road and be like, you know what? We really need something more. Uh, we got saved this way, but the way you grow is if you go back and you follow all the rules. You got to go back and keep 
all of these rules. And, and Paul is just so fed up and sick of this. Uh, so think about this. Pick a few of the top 10, a few of the uh, 10 commandments. How long, how long do you think you can go without lying? And that includes the little white lies that we think are okay, right? When you tell somebody, I'll be, I'll be home in five minutes. Well, you know you're going to be home in about half hour, right? That's a lie. And when someone, when someone says, how was dinner last night? And you know you spent more than you should on it, so you said it was amazing, but you're really disappointed in it. It's hard to say you were disappointed in a $50 steak, right? That's a lie, though, an exaggeration, a distortion. How long can you go without lying? How long can you go without wishing you had what your neighbor had? That's easy if you don't like the house that your neighbor's in. But what if somebody from community group bought that cool house that has a bathtub in it? You know, like a real bathtub, not like the old built-in bathtub with the shower? That's why I have, like, I was thinking this morning, like my, I think my new life goal is to have a real bathtub, like the big tub. How, man, that's me, whatever. Is that too, too much? Is that too much? How long can you go without wishing you had what your neighbor had? It, it gets much more difficult. How long can you go without having sex outside of marriage? or fantasizing about it, or having lust in your heart. And maybe you feel safe right now, because none of these apply to you. How about, I, got two, I got two more from the top 10. <laughs> two more I'll throw at you. We're not even going through all 10 now, right? <laughs> How long can you go without being disrespectful towards your parents? For most of us, like, I'll give you a few hours on that. You know, starting at 1 p.m. today, we will be a church that keeps the Ten Commandments. And we'll, it'll be like dodgeball. Whenever you're out, you got to get off the court, right? Like, by the end of the day, I don't think any of us would still be in the game. The gospel, the true gospel, it first sets us free from legalism by affirming you are worse than you think you are. Before you see the cross of Christ as anything, you have to see it as a critique of your ability to be a human, right? How messed up must you be that the Son of God had to die for you? Like that, the payment for your rebellion is so great that the Son of God had to die for you. The law cannot save you because you cannot keep the law. I talked about this, I don't know, a week or two ago. This expert from the law comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to get in heaven? Jesus says, you know everything about the Bible. What do you think? He said, well, love the Lord your God and love other people. And Jesus is like, that's exactly right. If you do that, you'll be saved. Is Jesus offering workspace salvation there? No. He's saying, if you think this is a viable strategy, we'll just go try it. See how this goes for you. The law can't save you because you can't keep the law. You cannot achieve righteousness. Not because the, the law is broken, it's because you are. The, the gospel says you are way worse than you think you are. But then it goes even further. It says you can't keep the law. And then it says God came and kept the law for you, in your place. And as as Isaiah would promise. So again, the whole thing is about Jesus. Isaiah says, God will lay your iniquities on him. It's not just that he came and was actively obedient in your place. It's that he also 
carried the weight of your rebellion and your failures. They were laid on Jesus at the cross. So the gospel says both, you can't keep the law and you don't have to anymore. It's been perfectly fulfilled for you. The purpose of all these Old Testament rules was to prepare you for Jesus. You would understand your need for him. You would see the glory of his provision for you. So the invitation to the legalist is come to Jesus. Don't come to the law. Don't think that because you follow these rules that you'll have eternal life. That was the criticism Jesus laid at the Pharisees. He says, follow the point of the scriptures and come to me. Be free from your life of shoulds and oughts and enter into the freedom of the gospel. The question is not how has my religious performance been today? Which that's another one of those, man, like that can suck the life out of your spirituality, out of all of your relationships. How, how have I done today? And you go through whatever your checklist is of all the things that you think you're supposed to do to make sure that God's still happy with you. The question is not how has my religious performance been today, but rather do I believe Jesus is still risen? Like if what makes you right with God happened 2,000 years ago, when that guilt or that anxiety comes up, we just have to consider, is Jesus still crucified? Well, he, yeah, I can't undo that. I don't have a time machine. Well, has he still risen? Well, yeah, he's still risen. He's still alive. Then nothing has changed about my status. And most of us grew up around some flavor of legalism around these parts. So the Christian life is about these things you have to do, whether it's your quiet time or not listening to this kind of music or whatever these kinds of things are. Some of it's been cultural. Some of it's been wrapped up in church language. Here's the things that we have to do. So when you start hearing about this kind of freedom, this has been my experience from preaching at this church in this place for six years or whatever now. When you hear things like, your behavior doesn't change your status with God, or the question at the end of the day is not what you did or didn't do or your moral performance, it's, is Jesus still alive? The, the almost universal response, which like, do you realize how good news that is? Like what good, powerful news that is? You're not going to screw it up. You, like you can't get kicked out of the family anymore. You're safe with God. And then most of us, our response to that is the but whatabouts. You know what the but whatabouts are? Where it's like, but what about this? I remember one of the first times that I just felt like I just laid the gospel out here. Someone came up to me afterwards and was like, preacher, sure sounds like you think we can smoke weed. And I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't say anything about that. There, there was no like marijuana application in there. <laughs> but the gospel is so incredibly scandalous in saying you are safe with God and it is not about what you do or don't do. It's about what Jesus has done. And will you believe he loves you? And immediately we jump to what we fear are the scary implications of that. But what about gambling? But what about alcohol? But what about, but what about because we're so terrified of all of the implications. What about this? And what about this? Are you saying this is okay? And one of the things that reveals is how terrified of freedom we are. We're afraid of the abuse of freedom, and we're afraid of our own desires. We've got great verses about that, right? Like, the heart is deceitful above all things. The number of times that in my life someone said, don't listen to your emotions because the heart is deceitful above all things. In short, for most of us, when we hear this, this degree of incredible freedom, we get terrified of ending up in the other ditch, the ditch of license. So if we're actually this free, we're just going to end up being crazy people, satisfying or chasing every carnal desire. And one of the, I, man, I, I just don't know if I could believe this anymore. 
I think at its core, the Christian life is about, is about learning how to say yes. It's not, it's not about simply saying no. And most of us, our Christian lives are based on saying no. And what I mean by that is, uh, to be a Christian means you stop all of these things. And so you find your list of things that you need to say no to. And I just, I promise you, the Christian life cannot be sustained by no. The human soul wasn't meant to live on guilt. That's just all that is, is guilt management. No, 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 no. And so we live our lives defensively. And you wonder, how could someone be a Christian for 30 years and be so angry and anxious and not have any friends? Well, if life is defined primarily by no, by saying no to what we perceive to be as sins, that's the result. That's what happens. The, the Christian life is a reworking. It's a relearning of what it means to be a human being. And most of us are terrified. We think that if we ask questions like, what do you want? The answer will be like, cocaine and whatever. You know what I mean? Like, just totally go off the deep end. And so we set up fences around our hearts, uh, around our relationships, where we say, here's all the things you can. Don't trust yourself. Don't listen to yourself. Don't follow your desires. Don't. And like, can that stuff go weird? Yeah, absolutely. But the, <laughs> it's so amazing to me. Yes, your heart is deceitful above all things. Who is he saying that to? Go figure that out. Go learn where that passage is, is coming from, what's saying. You know the promise of Ezekiel? He says, yeah, your heart's messed up. How does Ezekiel describe the human heart? What's it made out of? Stone. And he says, but when God comes, when Jesus comes, what will he give you instead? A heart of flesh. So that old deceitful heart has been taken out of you and a new heart has been given into you. And he says, if you believe in me, I'll put my spirit in you. And what will my spirit do? And that, come on, my, my Bible people. In that passage in Ezekiel, I will put my spirit in you and he will what? That's right. I, he will cause you to obey. He will move you to follow his commands. At the core of every Christian heart is a desire to know God and follow him. What do you want becomes one of the most powerful questions to ask a Christian if we believe that the spirit of the living God is living inside of them, that he's inside of us, dwelling with us, leading us into truth, causing us to obey God. Can it go crazy? Yeah, but it's kind of obvious. When you say, what do you want? And they say, I want to, I don't know, I want to divorce my wife and go be um, a casino dealer in Vegas and develop a heroin habit. It's like, that's probably not from God, Right? <laughs> right? But when someone is like, I think I want to leave my corporate job and go work for a nonprofit, it's like, well, okay, right? Like, I don't know. That's gray and ambiguous. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right. It's clearly not sinful, but I would listen to the spirit inside of you. Paul, in wonderfully simple terms, explains how we stay out of the ditch of license. It's amazing. He says, I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements. You see that? Pause for a second. Pretend like you didn't read the rest of it already. Like, I stopped burdening myself with the shoulds and oughts of all of these rules to follow. Well, but what about, what about this, Paul? Are you saying that, you know, should we sin more so that grace may increase? He says, I stopped doing all that so that I might live for God. He's not saying simply no to bad behaviors or no to this old legalistic way of life. He's saying yes to live for God. We're not saying yes to carnal desire. We're not saying yes to selfish ambition or whatever, live your dreams. Uh, our goal stops becoming following the rules or doing Christianity right, and it becomes knowing God. 
Yes to life with God. Yes to living for God. We're learning to trust the Spirit inside of us to lead us to life. And Paul keeps going on this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Freedom, here's another huge lie that many of us believe. Freedom doesn't come by giving into every whim, by giving into every desire and gratifying them. Freedom comes when we see our old way of life is dead. And maybe another a helpful way to think about that is when it says my old self, it's like your old way of doing you. The way you learned how to be a you all of this time, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. That way of you. you in Christ, you get to create a new normal. You, you get to create a human normal. Learning what does it really mean to be made in the image of God. Freedom comes when we see that our old way of being a me has been crucified with Christ. And what this is saying is we don't, fo- we don't solve life's complexities and the grayness of it by rule following or by getting rid of the rules. How do we follow this narrow road of salvation by grace, by the pure gospel? Well, we solve the complexity. Rather, we we learn to live in it by trusting the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And even in that, it's incredibly gray, right? How do we navigate? How do we know which one to do, what to say yes? Well, trust the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. So I want to try to be a little bit practical with that, because again, that's a little bit gray and confusing, right? What does this look like? Well, we have to, this will require a bit of a re-understanding, a relearning for many of us of what the mission of God is. Um, the mission of God from creation day one until today has been about relationships. Um, you know, God didn't create human beings uh, because there was a labor shortage in the universe, right? So you got to create new laborers or something. He created us to know us and to be known by us. He's not interested in making robots. He wants a family. Um, and in this family, we correct, absolutely. We invite, we instruct, absolutely. Especially when we hear people saying, uh, going into the ditch of license and legalism, not just because it's destructive for them personally, but it's a distortion of the pure gospel, we, we correct, absolutely. We instruct, absolutely. We invite people into deeper life with God, all in the context of building a family. All, all in the context of creating space for relationships. So when, when we're faced with a decision, and it's gray, and it's confusing, we ask questions like, how will this affect the family? How will this affect my whole family? You know, by, especially for the members here, we're saying we're not autonomous people anymore. We're part of a body. We are, we are intimately intertwined with one another. So when we make a decision, it could be anything from men. We're going to buy this house. How will that affect our ability to share the burden financially here at this church? How will this affect everybody else? Or it could be something real simple. I'm going to start doing this or that. How will this affect my family? Not simply am I allowed to do this. May I do this? Which that question is almost always pretty easy in Christianity, figuring out, am I quote-unquote allowed? And if by allowed, we mean, will this make me go to hell, right? Like, may I do this? It stops becoming that, and it, it becomes more, is this wise and helpful? Does it build up relationships within the church and in my life? Is this creating space for relational 
connections to be made. Following the Father's mission will, in, will inevitably lead us to trust the love of his Son. Functionally, Paul says, we live by trusting in the Son of God, Jesus. So this means knowing he loves me and he gave himself for me. Look at, look at this again. I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Those last two points, I mean, that is the Christian life. That's how you get into it, and that's how it's sustained. Do you believe that he loved you and he gave himself for you? Listen, love is the correction for legalism, right? He doesn't just give you rules to deal with stuff. He wants you. He desires you. He loves you and wants to bring you into your family. It's not, it's not our obedience, but our whole lives. It's, it's about relationship there. You see that? He loved us, so he pursued us because he wanted us in his family. And then gave himself for me. That's the correction for license. He didn't just love you. He also then displayed sacrificial love for you, a laying down of his desires for the sake of yours. And so to become a Christian is to realize Jesus loves me and he gave himself up for me. And then how do you learn to navigate the grayness of the world? Experience the reality that Jesus loved you and then gave himself up for you. And what will it look like for me to lay down my desires for the sake of love and relationships with others? The Christian life is lived in an awareness of God's relational mission and his sacrificial love for you, that he laid down his life for you. We live by, for God by trusting Jesus and following his lead. And like you got verses, we don't look to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, which doesn't mean don't have any interests. If you're like, what? Go read that verse. You, if you caught that, you know the verse. It says, don't look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's not just you, and it's not just them. It's a family working together. We build relationships, and we live for God by displaying sacrificial love for the sake of those relationships. Now, most practically, okay, God has a relational mission, and it's rooted in Jesus's sacrificial love for you. Practically, again, this is the very end, I promise. This will require us to learn to walk with the Spirit, walk in communion with the Spirit of God. We are not robots. We are not created to paint by numbers. We are participants in a relationship. God doesn't give us a new law in Christ. He gives us himself. You see, he doesn't say, here's a new list of do's and don'ts, but rather I will put my spirit inside of you. So the most simple way I can say this is if you want to walk with the spirit, cultivate a healthy conscience. Cultivate a healthy conscience because that's one of the primary ways God will speak to you through his spirit. A healthy conscience rooted in the pure gospel empowers us to live in the gray. So like my older friend at the beginning, we'll pursue relationship with God and others over simply being right. And we'll learn over time what's worth arguing about. I'm not saying that nothing is worth arguing about. I, did, I preached to the kids last week about sometimes you got to fight over stuff. Paul is fighting over something here. I'm not saying don't care about every, anything. But there, the older you get and the more deeply you walk with Christ, there should be fewer things you want to fight about. Fewer things that you want to fight about. You begin to see what's truly important and what, what the heart of God is really after. Some of you, you're you got to start reading the Bible. If your Christian life is a mess and you keep making dumb decisions and you never read the Bible, I'm begging you to start there. 
Like that is God's revealed word to you. And it's not a, like a how-to book for life as much as it is God saying, this is my heart for you. Well, can you see me in these pages and come to find how beautiful I am? And if you're like, I don't know how to read the Bible, here's how to read the Bible. I don't care what you read. Pick something. There's all kinds of resources on our, how we grow well. But learn to ask questions like, what does this show me about God? And what does this show me about myself? And you don't need to worry right on the front end about all the historical context or all that kind of stuff. What is God saying to me about himself and about me? Live for God, trust his son, walk with the spirit by knowing his word. If you, you just won't make it very far in the Christian life. You'll get overwhelmed by the confusion and grayness and, and the soul fatigue if you're not in his word. Um, and here's the other big shocking takeaway of how to develop your conscience. Read the Bible. What do you think the next one is? Pray right? Those are like, that's Christianity in so many ways. Read the Bible to know God and pray to hear the voice of God. Legalism says I have to follow all the rules, so we draw tight lines over everything. License says I can do whatever I want, so we throw away wisdom and God's invitations. Living for God says, Spirit, lead me. Show me what's best. There may be a context where it's okay, and another context, it's not okay. Is it sinful to drink alcohol? No. Is it sinful to come into Thanksgiving where your alcoholic uncle is there and to open up wine and beer? Yeah, probably, right? Like context changes that and you need the Spirit's wisdom to lead you through that. So like any relationship, this means speaking and listening. You, when you pray, you ask and then you listen. Maybe you have a friend who will ask you a question and then talk for 40 minutes and say, thanks for talking and go. And you're like, well, that wasn't much of anything, Right? If you ask things of God, that's wonderful. But don't leave there saying, God never talks to me if you never listen. It's a relationship. So ask God for help. Ask him what you need. And then, and then listen. If you need wisdom, ask for it. And then listen for it. And, and then the really hard part is obeying. You read the Bible. You pray, God, what should I do? He says, you should probably do this. And then most of us are like, I don't know. I don't know. And then, you, I don't know, your way through the Christian life for four, five, six, 10, 20 years. And you're like, I don't know. I just feel like I don't really know God. He doesn't answer my prayers. He doesn't speak to me. He's like, I don't know. You know, listen and do what he tells you. You'll begin feeling your conscience twinge you and nudge you. So you'll be walking through the grocery store and be like, I feel like I should go talk to that person. I don't know. Why does it make me feel uncomfortable? Well, listen and watch what happens. You're about to do something. I'm going to watch this. I'm going to put this movie on with my my nieces and nephews, and then your conscience is like, I don't, I don't know about that. Listen to that. Learn to trust the Spirit speaking to you and, and nudging you. And, and finally, as you're processing all of this, don't do it alone. Take, some, take somebody with you, right? Um, we're a family, and isolated family is always unhealthy family. You know this in your biological family. If some, someone who only comes around when they need money Someone who only shows up when they need something, and then they're, they're leaving holiday dinners early, they are no-shows on certain stuff, and it just feels like they're not really there. There's always something unhealthy happening there. So it is with our church. So simply put, listen to your friends. Invite them to speak into you, your character, your decisions, and listen. Often God will speak to you through his word or through his spirit and prayer, and then a whole lot of the time he'll speak to you through other Christians. So if someone has the courage to speak to you, weigh what they say, and, and then you have the courage to receive. So 
God's mission is about relationships. License and legalism both destroy them. The gospel preserves, rebuilds, and restores. The, the love of the Son frees you from the rules and from slavery to your own selfishness and wicked desires. The Spirit leads and guides you through a gray, confusing world. And so we come to communion to once again point our souls to God, seeking to live for God, trusting His Son who loved us and gave Himself for us. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. After the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this and remember what I've done for you. This is the cup that seals your relationship with God. This is the glorious gospel freedom. You don't have to follow the rules anymore because Christ did it for you. His body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you. You don't have to prove anything to God because it's the blood of Christ that keeps you safe with God. And we stop asking questions like, is God happy with me? And more so, Father, how should I live? What are you inviting me to? So that we say no to our way of being in me and yes to God's invitations to us. Our tradition at Sojourn is to rip off a piece of bread and dip it in wine or juice. Wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it and there'll be stations in the back and up front, and there'll be gluten-free elements to my left, your right. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we invite you to come to Jesus this morning. There's a way out of your slavery to yourself, to the confusion uh, and the, the oppressive ambiguity of life, uh, and learn to follow uh, the Spirit of God living inside of you. There'll be men and women up front after the service that would love to talk to you about that. I'll pray, and then Christians, you can come celebrate communion as you're ready. Let's pray.